and a one and a two and a one two three four. Hello and welcome, GC. I'm Todd Lyons, and this is Toddcast Season 3, Episode 6, a show for and about public servants. And on this episode, Part 2 of a two-part series on telework. In Part 1, we framed the issue, benefits, barriers, and drawbacks, with Nellie Leonidas, the most experienced teleworker I know. Here on Part 2, some concluding discussion from Nellie, And later, a manager and an employee who live in different provinces provide their impressions of the telework experience in their own words. But first, a letter I received from a listener to part one of the series. I'm an experienced mid-level analyst in the public service. I work autonomously, but find the Workplace 2.0 very distracting. With two few quiet rooms in my building and pods of people so close together, I can have difficulty concentrating when sustained attention is required. After listening to part one of your telework podcast, I felt compelled to share my own experiences. A family situation recently impacted my quality of life. While I was vaguely aware of the policy on telework, I never felt the need to look into it. But when the stress for my situation became too much, I looked over the policy briefly. I can honestly say that I'd never heard of it being used by any of my coworkers, despite having worked for various government departments. Consequently, I had no one to go to for advice on how to broach the subject with my manager. With some anxiety, I set up a meeting with my manager to discuss the important something that had been on my mind. I'm not sure that my manager knew what to expect from this discussion, other than it seemed serious and important enough to schedule a meeting. Before the discussion, I jotted down my reasons for requesting telework. I couldn't explain why I felt the need to do this, only that I did. With my heart racing, I walked into his office and closed the door for privacy. I began by explaining my personal situation. Not because I had to, but to help provide context. To support my request, I explained that TBS had an amazing tool, a telework policy, that allowed for flexible and alternate work arrangements. He seemed so unimpressed and replied, So, what's that got to do with us? I told him that the telework policy required his approval in order for me to exercise it as an option. He looked me right in the eye and said, I know about the policy, but we don't really care what they're doing at TBS. They can make their own policies but it's not for them to try and enforce them in situations where they clearly won't work. We don't allow telework in the division for operational reasons. Now I tried to reason with him on how this could be a win-win arrangement, which would allow for me to better cope with my life situation. I thought that by using proactive language about my well-being, that he would support me instead of making me feel more torn and stressed. I didn't want things to deteriorate to the point where I would need time off. Teleworking would allow me to remain a productive member of his team, but I could tell from his irritated expression that his mind was closed. He was unashamed by his unwillingness to explore options to support me. I felt defeated. 
He was my manager, and he held all of the power. There was nothing more I could do. I left his office fighting back tears, and wondering why I'd even bothered to waste my time. My manager's clear disinterest in my well-being only added to my stress. I was more depressed by the fact that he could casually refuse my request and not have to be accountable to anyone. In a last-ditch effort to see what protections employees had in situations such as these, I talked to my union representative. I was disappointed to learn that the approval and implementation of telework relies solely upon managerial discretion in the absence of a medical note. (laughs) I would need to become ill and not be accommodated for the union to become involved. The telework policy in its present state is unenforceable without managerial buy-in. My manager didn't have to justify to anyone why he decided that telework was operationally unfeasible. It simply was because he said so. The sheer power given to a manager in this policy upsets me. I really believe that being a proactive employee, being aware of how I was feeling and how it would affect my productivity, was the right thing to do. But in receiving the message that my own functioning is less important than clinging to unclear operational requirements, I find myself feeling as unapologetic as my manager, caring less and less as my work deteriorates as I try to cope with the stressors in my life. When the telework policy has been in place for about 20 years, I should not still be in a situation where the ability to telework is only guaranteed contingent upon the failure of my health. I agree that all public servants should have the ability to telework by default. This initiative alone would significantly improve workplace mental health and wellness, and I can't be the only one who's experiencing this. Your feedback is always welcome, and I'm happy to pass it along in the manner of your choosing, using your name or anonymously, with the help of the Toddcast team. Write me at todd at toddlines.ca. Now... One last chat with Nelly to conclude our discussion from part one. So as a person that is in a line of work that lends itself to doing telework, how do you do your, I guess, your, your background, your investigation to both find a shop where that arrangement, they'd be open to it? And how do you begin the conversation with your manager to start that in motion? Because you've either well, you've either found the right place to start or found the right words to begin that conversation with your managers where you've worked so far? Well, I've done this now in four departments and within that six teams. It's a little hard. Like, let me start with the harder one. The last job that I took when I was speaking with the person about the work, I did mention that I have a telework arrangement in place and it means a great deal to me for both physical and and personal reasons. And I would like to continue. And she was like, yeah, no problem. Everybody here has a telework agreement. So, you know, just sign it because then you're covered for the year and you're good to go. So that was not an issue. I try to imagine myself in a position if they had said no. And honestly, Todd, very honestly, I would not have taken the job because to me, telework is one thing, but it it would be asymptomatic of a lack of trust in the system. Mm -hmm. And so I honestly count myself quite fortunate that I'm in a position sometimes to pick the next move in my career. For the initial bit, I mean, it's strange because the very first job that I had and I encountered telework is because my manager was doing it and she didn't have the expectation that you wouldn't be able to do it. We had a very pesky um, uh, support staff person that would just make all these comments about, well, I never know what day you're in or out. No, it's usually a set day or something. And 
like I said, I shrug those off too. You just don't know how to express the same, you know, want. The next job I had was with that manager that started me off on the down low. And that's because I just, I honestly don't know, Todd. Like she knew, right? And she knew that I worked better because I would take my laptop and go work out of Starbucks for the first two weeks to get to the brain of what I wanted to do from a social media point of view, right? And so she knew like coming back, who gets the product, there was that. The other manager also knew because she's seen me when we were colleagues and then she became the manager and she just knew that was the style. And then I went to a different team with a manager who's never worked with me before and he's kind of inherited my work agreement, but it was DG signed, right? So the DG was fine with it. And every time we renewed, he never once questioned why or why not. He always, you know, again, the work was always there. And my supervisor always noted about she loves work from home, Nelly, because that is the most productive Nelly she knows. It was just this joke that we've had. And like I said, it's odd in the sense that I never had to, I had to bide my time a little bit when my manager was speaking with the DG and building towards telework. And I didn't, you know, I couldn't share it. And it was kind of frustrating to me that somehow I felt like I was feeding that idea that it's a position of privilege. Um, and, and like you're getting, you know, you're getting some sort of extra treatment. Well, I didn't think that was the case, but I think the long game was that we build a, enough support that we could do it and then eventually roll it out. So my manager at that time was quite strategic that way for the greater good, right? I also don't know why going to the manager and asking is not the first step and not asking, in a, can I do it or not? It could be like, listen, I would like to try this out for a while. I you know, don't know what kind of teleworker I am because I've never done it if you've never done it or if you have, then talk about your previous experience. Like I know, you know, the treasury board's got this template. People are encouraged to do so. We talk about innovation, mental health. It would be like, I'd like to try this and see how it is. What kind of indicators would you need to know that it's working so that I know how to build that around it? You know, so if the manager says, I want to see more, I don't know, coded pages per day, that's something you can do. Or sometimes there's none. Sometimes I'll be like, no, because I don't know if the DG will agree. And then you're like, how do I go to, how do we get him to agree or her? Or they'll say no because I don't believe in it. That's a different conversation. So I think this is where I would have seriously an issue with I don't believe in it or I just don't like it. And I would probably keep asking, Todd. I would just keep going with, okay, I found some interesting information. It's never a good idea, I think, to go with, well, Nelly does it. How can I? Like, why can't I, you know? Uh, if it's something that the manager is likely, they perceive part of the job to be related to you physically being there. If that's the case, you need to look into whether or not that's true. Tell them how you actually, it's not, you know, not quite the same. You can do it by doing one, two, three, four. And I hate to say it, but if you're really not getting the answers that you want within, you know, after a while, then this person and you fundamentally disagree on the philosophy of what it's like to work. And maybe you need to shop for a supportive environment. From the other end of it, Todd, because I know that lots of managers are just left to their own devices. They don't have a, there's no, there's no how to be a best manager guidebook out there. It just, you know, if only, <laughs> well, no, but it's so personal, right? Like managers are different as different as the employer employees that they have and people they supervise. And some people are natural born charismatic leaders and some people just got promoted to the next thing. And they haven't the foggiest about how to deal with introverts and extroverts and hypersensitive and empaths and so on. So it's, it's, it's quite murky. And the people business is a shady business, Todd. But they just, if, if they're not seeing it and they're having a hard time, it's just, it's not for you. I don't know. Like, 
we need to give them that we, we, the public service, need to encourage managers to take a little bit more risk in how they manage their human resources in the sense that put the telework agreement in place for three months. If it's not working out, pull the plug. That's fine. If it's working out, examine your own prejudice. Like it's, it's fine. A lot of us come from a place of assumptions based on things we've heard or seen that are different, but it's bridging that gap between the employee wish and, and your sort of opinion as a manager that would make a big difference. One of the absolute, absolute best things I've ever heard from a manager, and the reason, by the way, I'm still in the public service, was I challenged her on something, and we disagreed quite strongly, both of us, about it. Like, it was, you know, this, but the data points us to X. Well, no, I'm not doing it. That's not a good idea. It's ridiculous. And you're like, okay, but that's your opinion that it's ridiculous. We have evidence. No, this is just the way it is. And then, you know, we parted that way. The very next day she came to me and she said, A, I owe you an apology for, you know, my tone or whatever. And B, I thought about it all night. And you're right. You're right. That was totally my subjective opinion. It's not at all objective. And so we should give it a go. And then she said, never, ever stop challenging me as a person because I'm a manager. Don't. Because I am a person with my experiences and they're not the same as yours. And if we did everything my way, it would never be the same. She was like, don't ever back down from a challenge like that with a manager. Wow. Like just Yeah. And so... I don't know if she lifted you the day or not. You'll have to ask her. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was that, right? It was like, it is an absolute world in some places. In the military, you do get told X and Y because there's precedence, manuals, and so on, and tactics. But for the most part, don't be a bully about it. But um, just ask why not? Because most of the time, people just need a minute to step back and examine it. I also would recommend never looking for the yes or no right away. Just seeding the idea. Like, well, I'm thinking about this and this and this. Would you like to take some time next week to think to talk about it? Because you're giving the person enough time to react in their initial way and then to think about it, process it, and then they're going to take it on as themselves. Like they'll just start thinking about what happens to them and then they'll start thinking about what it happens to them and then they will get to a place where they have a little bit more of a decision and then at least they would have thought it through so that it's not a flippant yes or no. If they have a no, they'll give you reasons because they've had the week to think about it or whatever the time frame might be. And then you've also given them the chance to not just give you the big reaction and then it spoils the whole thing, right? Like, see that idea. Listen, Todd, um, I've been thinking about telework because I would like to, you know, kind of change the way I work a little bit and figure out where I'm maybe not as efficient, maybe where I'm efficient. And how about we'll go out next Monday for like a quick coffee and talk about it. Like, you know, let's, let's see what we can do about this. Thanks for listening. And then like this way, you know, they're not really in a position to cut the idea or not based on their initial reaction. You give them enough time to think about it, go through it. It simmers there, you know, and then they'll come to you. And from that point, you have a different conversation. Like it's a yes, how do we go about it? It's a no. Okay, what can we do to overcome the no? It's really in your job description to be here because you are the only one capable of X in this particular physical location. That's a, that's a thing to consider. Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable with it because of other managers are going to say I'm not here. Okay. That's a very fair risk but how about if we actually ran some data about it how about if i tracked how much i worked and i did this and that would help you you know solidify that argument and then from a different point of view as a manager if i lacked that kind of idea of how to make telework happen i would probably encourage them to go and talk with their dg or with someone from a different team a manager in a different team and say what are you seeing like what's the trend here because maybe Starting that conversation, they'll know how common it is to get asked that particular question. It is no longer a position of privilege. It's more of a, why can't we? And the fact that I had to hear about that as the first question of hacking your workplace 
when I did the CCO talk was indicative to me that many people are still not at that stage of, I'd like to make work work a little bit for me. Like I'd like this experience to mean something for me and work around my parameters. Uh, when you speak with your manager, take them out of their office and, and your office. And by that, I mean, if you're in a location that allows you to go for a coffee or a tea or mm -hmm. like a kind of quiet room or something, but ideally leave your actual physical office because you're more likely to get a frank conversation when people are not sur surrounded by objects of familiarity. If your manager is not near his BlackBerry and computer and 15 people dropping in asking for feedback, they're actually going to listen to you. That's great advice. I, I want to thank you for talking about all this today. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Have a good day. I'll speak later. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. When I made a call out for Telework Stories, I was pleased to hear from longtime listener Rod Gallant, who was kind enough to agree to appear on Toddcast to share his experiences as a teleworker living in the regions, but reporting to a manager in the National Capital Region. Go ahead, Rod. Hey, Todd. As mentioned before, I'm the only virtual report on my team. I'm working for the corporate workforce planning area within the Human Resources branch at the Canada Revenue Agency, and I'm in PEI and the rest of my group are in Ottawa. We focus on integrating strategic workforce planning with business planning to ensure the CRA has the workforce it needs to meet program deliverables, and we provide leadership and support related to workforce strategies that proactively address workforce risks, transformation initiatives, business planning for the HR function, and corporate HR committees. We use WebEx for our team meetings and most other meetings that we have within our division, and since I'm dealing with people in other sections, regions, and departments, Email and phone tend to be the most popular form of communication. Certainly, if I was in Ottawa, I'd likely do more meetings face-to-face, -face, but truth be told, the work can be done without it. I travel to Ottawa a couple times a year, and when I'm in town, I try to meet with as many people that I've dealt with over the course of the year in person, even if it's just to say hi. I find even though I work virtually and have built connections across the CRA and government in the whole, I find it helps to solidify the relationship if you can meet somebody face-to-face. -face. As far as qualities, I think you need to be a bit of a self-starter. You don't have that team member in the next cubicle to bounce things off of or have a quick chat with, so you have to be a little bit creative. I'm a GC Tools ambassador, so I've gotten most of the team comfortable using GC Connects, and we've started using the chat feature quite a bit to connect during the day. You also have to be a little bit tech-savvy, because it can help a lot. All the team members have a WebEx account, which allows for us to do quick meeting setups and to be able to share and discuss documents. Unfortunately, within the firewall, our tech is fairly limited, at least in our department. Certainly would be nice if we had access to Skype, Google Plus Hangouts, and Slack to be able to connect even uh, quicker. I've used those tools for outside projects, and certainly it uh, makes things a lot easier having those extra tools to be able to use. On the downside, virtual reports sometimes tend to be out of sight, out of mind. I suspect that we likely get missed or forgotten about when it comes to opportunities. You have to be diligent to make sure that your boss is aware of your interests and the type of things that you want to work on, so that if they do hear of an opportunity, they can let you know about it. Unfortunately, many staffing processes still don't consider virtual reporting as an option, which can be a bit frustrating for those of us from away. You have to be a bit proactive and make sure that people outside your area are aware of your interest and do some marketing of your own talents. On the plus side, I've had several different bosses since I started working virtually and all have been very receptive to the idea of a virtual report. I have regular time scheduled for check-ins with my boss, 
plus either side can get in touch with the other at any point in time. All said and done, I've been pretty fortunate. Not many regional people get the opportunity to work for the corporate areas, and I've been lucky to be able to do it on three separate occasions now, two of which I actually moved to Ottawa for a short period of time, and now I'm permanently a headquarters employee. It may sound cliche, but as George and Chris discussed on your pod a couple of months back, there certainly is a big discrepancy between headquarters and the regions, and I would encourage any employees that have only worked in headquarters to seek out opportunities to do regional or operational assignments, and vice versa. Both sides benefit greatly from having that uh, wide um, amount of experience. Thanks, Rod. Now, the second favor Rod did for me was to ask his manager, Carrie Colpitz, if she'd also appear on this episode to discuss the experience from her perspective. And thankfully, she was pleased by the invitation. And I reached her by phone. Hello. Hey. So, hi, Carrie. It's good to speak to you. Thank you for agreeing to, to speak to me today. Thanks for inviting me. So, I understand you've been working with teleworking employees since 2010. And up to half of your division at any one time is actually working virtually. How has that worked out for you? Uh, well, I can tell you that in my last division, when I worked, uh, I worked in HR, um, I had a, a job that was very strategic. And we, before I started there, we had about um, maybe seven or eight people on long-term sick leave. It was very stressful, very high-paced uh, uh, environment, very fast-paced, high demand, high turnover. And uh, we went to a... a a more flexible workspace where I actually asked people to work from home one or more days a week. Uh, and then we started recruiting people from other cities to, to sort of defray some of the recruitment pressures that we had from within our own branch. Our sick leave actually dropped down to zero people on long-term sick leave. And we our actual overall sick leave and family leave utilization dropped by almost 50%. Uh, we had very um, high morale a very open and free workplace, and I, I like to think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we empowered the employees to have thinking time and strategy time by removing the day-to-day distractions of an open office environment. So it sounds idyllic, but it can't be 100% perfect. What are some of the struggles that you found trying to manage virtual employees? I did have a very difficult situation in my first job where we had someone who was a home-based employee and that person ended up going on sick leave. Uh, and it's very difficult to put someone on sick leave from their own house, right? Because the computer's still there. The, all of the trappings of the office are still there. So I learned a, a couple of really important lessons. So when we actually have a local, locally-based person who wants to work from home, uh, more often I ask them to, to do sort of like a trial run for two weeks. And I ask them to do some really weird things. So I ask them to log their social interaction. Uh, so outside of the office, so who are they interacting with when they're working from home? Because a lot of times that's the majority of our social interaction with humanity, right? Yeah. And and then I ask them to log what they're eating during the day because when you have frequent access to the fridge, you know, it, it can be a little bit of a challenge to to lure yourself away from snacking all day long. And then I ask them to log what are they doing for physical activity because Believe it or not, when you work downtown or you work in an urban environment, you actually do walk quite a bit. Uh, not necessarily when you drive to work and you work in a more suburban environment. So when you're not having to walk to the bus, when you're not having to walk from the bus to the office, when you're not having to walk to meetings, you can actually be a completely sedentary individual. And it's really important to for your mental health, actually, to make sure that you're getting up and walking around and moving around. So I ask them to log all that type of stuff and tell me how they feel at the end of the two weeks. 
And based on that discussion, we, we have like a further discussion about how we can support home-based employees. And if it works, they'll know. If it doesn't, they'll know too. So that, that has been a bit of a challenge. Everybody thinks that they're right for it, and a lot of people actually aren't. So it sounds like things have gone very well in your shop. Why, why is it, does this seem to be such a general resistance to, to teleworking in, in the public service? Because it's, it sounds very unusual, someone in your case, where like half of your shop is, is actually teleworking. Yeah, I think, um, I think we had to figure out how to make it work because uh, we had realigned the service delivery model in HR, and that meant a whole bunch of people were displaced. So their, their offices were no longer places where you provided HR services. So HQ picked them up um, because they had a lot of skill, a lot of experience in the field. They knew the business. So that was a really unique opportunity. And as a result, we were forced to make it work. I think part of the challenge is that managing is really hard. Like it, It's a really hard occupation. And we've all had the experience of one or two people uh, who abuse the system, and that drags down morale, right? Like, it's easier to see if someone's at work and doing work and uh, if they're goofing off when they're in the office. It's harder to see that when you can't drop by your cubicle. It's harder to reach out to be conscious of being, you know, uh, communicative when you have to pick up the phone and actually call somebody. It's more work. It's definitely more work for the manager, and it requires a lot more trust. And that's not something that we are really trained to do in the management function. We have a, an ingrained culture of, yeah, I have to see you to know that you're doing that job. I don't really feel that way. I worked in the States. I've worked in the private sector. I myself uh, have been known to work some unconventional hours. I worked in communications for 10 years where we'd be working from 7 in the morning until 7 at night, but you're on call all the time. But you might not actually be in the office for that whole time. So it's a little bit of a different perspective, a little bit of a different culture, and it depends on what your workplace culture is. So how does someone develop a sense of comfort if, if they're, they're interested in trying to manage people remotely on a voluntary basis, but, but they just have this sense of presenteeism that they, they really feel better if they can actually physically see people in the office? Is it, is it just a leap of faith? Is it a trust thing that you have to establish? Or do you have to be very deliberate in the way that you uh, assign and track the completion of work so that, okay, you're seeing things actually arrive in the inbox or being put into the document management system. So, okay, this person's obviously getting their work done. I think um, if you are really uncomfortable about it as a manager, there are a couple things you can do. Um, first one is offer somebody who works in a region uh, an assignment in your team. It's temporary. It gives you the opportunity to get your, your field expertise in your team. And you get to work out the kinks of what it means to manage people who live in a different city than you, uh, especially in a different time zone. That's a, another complication. You really need to have a conversation with that employee about the, the norms of communication. So how are you going to communicate with each other? As an example, I'm not a big fan of my BlackBerry. I also don't like phone calls. But when I have remote people, I make sure to book specific time with those people. And, and they also get to text me. So if there's something urgent. For some reason, the text noise doesn't come up on my BlackBerry, but it does on my personal phone. So if, if it's really critical and you need to get to me right now, like there's a health and safety issue in your workplace, you can text me on my personal phone and I will respond immediately. That's something that I really only give to the remote employees. The requirement to log on to the computer and let me know when you're logged on, that's a really helpful tool. 
Because if you think about it from an occupational health and safety perspective, we're still responsible for you even though you're in another building, especially if you're at home. Uh, you are, are telling us that your office is healthy and secure. But if you don't log on and let us know that you're working, I still have to worry about you. Are you lying at home being eaten by wild dogs? Have you been hurt? You know, do I have to call someone to go and do a wellness check? These are all things that I worry about as a manager. Is there any special software that you use to achieve this? I know that here at ESTC, we have uh, a package through uh, Shared Services Canada. Uh, it ties into my software that's currently running on my desktop at work. It even alerts people that I'm available. So if people are in Outlook or in another Microsoft program, the little green light next to my name is turned on so people are aware that, that I'm reachable through email or through the Instant Messenger link. Well, isn't that a great idea and horrifying at the same time? Uh, <laughs> no, we don't use any specific software. I've, had, I've actually had teams managed in Ottawa by remote managers. And they, they work out their own norms of communication. So how do I how do I let you know that I'm available? You can call me, you can text me, you can email me. I'll get back to you right away uh, versus I'm in meetings. So there's a lot of open calendar sharing uh, that goes on uh, in teams that I work in. So, for instance, anybody who reports to me has access to my calendar. That means that I've got to be a little bit more careful about managing what's actually private. But there's... There's no specific software that we're using in the teams that I've managed, no. Okay, so it can be very low-tech. Yeah, no investment required. Have you seen any change in, in, in productivity between you know, your, your virtual employees versus your, your, your local employees, or is it pretty much the same? The local employees who get to work from home one or two days a week, their productivity goes up. The employees who work virtually, it's not a productivity issue, it's an engagement issue, right? So the more engaged you are in your workplace the easier your job is, and it can be difficult to engage remote employees. We both have to make more of an effort. Uh, so that, that can be a bit of a challenge. Their productivity is stellar. That's excellent. Do you think that, that certain people are a better match for, for this sort of style of working? And I'm thinking specifically of people that tend to be more introverted or people with uh, attention deficit issues, and, and I would include myself in that category. I know that Sometimes I find it very difficult to continually restart if I'm in a position where a lot of people are dropping by in 10 or 20 minute intervals to ask me a question about something. And then I have to spend quite a bit of time sort of trying to reorient myself, like where was I thought wise, and then try to get back to what I was doing only to sort of get derailed uh, a short time later. I don't have that same problem at home. Yeah, you don't have that same problem at home. I don't have that same problem at home, but I get sucked in by Facebook at home, right? (laughs) Temptation. I think that we have this odd blend of jobs in the public service now. They're both thinking jobs and operational jobs, so we have things that we have to get done right now, and then we have things that have sort of a longer time horizon. When you're working on a longer time horizon and you have some deadlines, they're two different types of of situations. Some people work better under a pressure situation and they can just tune everything out if they have a deadline right now. Other people work better when they have a longer time horizon and they can sit down, they can think about it, they can map it out, they don't want any distraction. Everything, everything shiny coming by them, every time the lights turn on or off, it's all over with the crime. It depends on the individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all. If there are 15 people on a team, there are 15 different attention challenges. So, some days, for me, it works better if I'm at home. Some days, for me, I work better if I'm in the office. Do you think that this is something that can work towards creating a better a better work-life balance, a better 
mental health environment, which is something that I'm hearing a lot of uh, in the public service nowadays? I've actually seen the proof that it works. You know, even my managers worked at home one day a week in my last division, and that really, really contributed to a better work-life balance. I'm going to give you an example. When you empower your employees with laptops, uh, if they know that there's going to be a snowstorm the next day, they might not be able to make it into the office, but that's not a lost day of productivity. You know, they're putting on the Netflix for the kids and making some snacks, but they're still getting six and a half hours of work done. If you have an appointment, if you live in Barhaven and you work downtown and you have an appointment with one of your kids, you don't have to be gone for the whole day. You can work from home for a couple hours, take the kid to the appointment, drop them off at school, work from home for another few hours, and you're still contributing to the workplace. I think in large part, it also helps the parenting burden. So that feeling that you have of guilt because you've got to be at your kid's recital or you need to meet the teacher or you need to do the the never-ending dentist appointments, it can help a lot if you're connected remotely to make you feel like, yes, I'm still working, I'm still contributing, it's just that one hour that I'm not able to do this. So I I think it does help a lot in parental guilt. I think it helps a lot with people who have chronic illnesses uh, who may not feel up to working in the office that day, but could definitely contribute from home. So you have to sort of empower the employees to be able to say, I'd still like to contribute, just not in the traditional way today. That's excellent. Are there any final thoughts that you want to share with my audience? I, I think that, you know, we've, we've looked at, are there courses that you can teach managers on how to manage virtually? There aren't. You're either willing to take the risk or you're not. And I think it's a risk worth taking. I really do. Uh, have spectacular success. If you, if you want to talk to people who do this well, the Canada Revenue Agency is amazing at managing virtual employees. They have about 2,000 people who report into Ottawa that don't live there. We actually have people who report in between regions. We have people whose managers are in one office and they're in another. So we do it really, really well. Carrie, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Okay, good luck. You've been listening to Toddcast Season 3, Episode 6. All opinions expressed on Toddcast are strictly those of the individual and are not necessarily those of their employer. This episode's listener letter was voiced by Toddcast team member Rebecca Muse. Special thanks to Mary Elizabeth Baker, Debbie Bearsford Green, Christian Bertelson, Audrey Lee Bogdansky, Steve Buell, M.F. Burford, Allison DeTony, Barbara Dundas, Abe Greenspoon, Daphne Guerrero, Jen Harju, Derek Jackson, Terry Kelly, Martin Lavoie, Annie LeBlonde, Serene Makdeshian, Joy Moscovich, Gray O'Byrne, Catherine Parker, Aaron Percival, Tarek Paracha, Alice Scott, Tanya Snook, Lily Speck, Patrick Steele, Jackie Tweedy, Greg White, and Elizabeth Ellis, and Yvette Fung for their support and contributions to the Toddcast community. You can support us too. Wherever you found us, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, social media, or on my website, let us know that you heard Toddcast and help us to reach a little further in getting meaningful content out to the Public Service of Canada. Become a subscriber, share the episodes, rate our content, and write. And let us know what's on your mind. You can always reach me at Todd at toddlines.ca or start a conversation with your fellow listeners on the Toddcast group on GC Connects. 
podcast is planned, written, and technically produced using free and open source software, as I like it that way. Canboard, DocuWiki, and Audacity running on Kubuntu Linux and Linux Mint. Software that is free as in cost, but more importantly, free as in freedom. This episode's theme music was Through the Lens by Andy G. Cohen and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Toddcast content is free to use and share under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License because, like open source, open content, and open licensing makes the world a better place. I'm Todd Lyons. I'll see you online. Thank you.